Have you ever come across uh, a tree that was growing really crooked or sideways? A couple of years ago, no, a couple of weeks ago, actually it's more like a couple of months ago, I guess, if you want to be specific, we, uh, I went on a canoe trip with a few of the guys from church here, and we, uh, as we paddled down the river, we came across all kinds of trees, I mean, lots were standing up really good, but there was a whole pile that had fallen over. Uh, there were a bunch that were like leaning over and looking like they were about to fall over. Some were really crooked, growing sideways. They didn't look like, the ones that were growing sideways, they didn't look like they had a very long future. But many of them were still hanging on. I have uh, put a few pictures up here of some trees that are not growing very straight. Now note, this is not pictures that we took on the trip. They are ones I found on the internet. But... Uh, there are a variety of reasons why a tree might not grow straight. One reason could be that the roots uh, of the tree have not extended deep enough to support the size of the tree. It could be because that uh, the ground, the soil is unstable, maybe too shallow, too wet. That's kind of like the picture in the bottom right. Or in the case of the picture in the top left, it could be because of, of strong and steady winds combined with some unstable soil. You'll also notice that these trees, they are isolated from the other trees around them. And perhaps another reason why you might find crooked or, or trees growing sideways is because they weren't planted properly. Perhaps they weren't packed well. Um, there's this quote I once read. I can't remember who said it. A tree, as a tree is bent, so it will grow. Now, people, we are a little bit like trees in that way. We, too, need the right conditions to grow healthy and strong. Now, this morning, we're going to continue our, our series through the book of Proverbs. To refresh your memory, Proverbs is wisdom literature. Law, it's not prophecy. Rather, it is the accumulated wisdom of God's people throughout the generations about how to honor God and others. And the purpose of the book is to help teach people to attain wisdom, right? how to live and do what is right, what is just, what is fair, how to live faithfully and well in God's world. Now, the book of Proverbs, it addresses all kinds of topics. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to explore some of these different topics in more detail. But this morning, we're going to see what the Bible has to say about raising children about training up the next generation. So Proverbs 22, verse 6. It's a very popular proverb, which is why I wanted to tackle it this morning. Start, off, start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Raising children, raising the next generation, is a sacred calling. C.S. Lewis said this, Children are not a distraction from more important work, they are the most important work. Now, raising children, it, it is very exciting. It is rewarding. But as many of us know, it is also smelly. It is expensive. It is frustrating at times. It can be even crushing at times. Raising children is challenging. Now, parents, you know this better than anyone. But everyone who works with children, whether it be... Uh, 
aunts and uncles or grandparents or those who work in the school system or in daycares or a camp or church ministry, you know this as well because you too are involved in teaching, training, discipline, and caring for this next generation. And so even if you're not a parent this morning, this still applies to you. Now all of those, all of us who are involved in raising children, especially parents, understand what is required to do this. Or at least have some idea, I should say. Raising children requires lots of patience. Right? For those times when, when your kids aren't sleeping very well, or patience for when they're complaining or not listening, because that happens every so often. Raising children requires so much energy. Or energy for those times when you have to get up in the middle of the night to care for them and then play, for them, play with them throughout the day and then make meals upon meals for them. Raising children requires grace to love them and care for them, especially in those times when they misbehave, and grace to continue putting their needs ahead of your own, especially in those times when you feel like you're just hanging on by a thread. Raising children requires faith and prayer. Faith to believe that God will be with them and to guide them and protect them when, you leave, when they leave your side for the first time. When they make friends who will be influential in their lives. When they move out of the house or when they go to college or when they join the workforce or when they start uh, raising or enter into marriage and start having their own kids. And raising children requires so much wisdom. Wisdom to know what to teach and how to guide, how to discipline, how to model life well. Raising children, or raising this next generation, is what is necessary for the human race to survive and to thrive. This is an important task God has called us to do. Now children, like all of us, we are naturally bent on going our own way. And like trees, there are all kinds of factors that can help start a child off on the way they should go, on the right path, or to help them grow in integrity and strong character. And there are all kinds of factors that can be a part of helping a child lose their way or to grow sideways, if you will. And so start off a child on the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. Now, like I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, uh, this verse is a proverb. It is a wise saying. It's a general truth statement. It's wisdom. And so this, is not a, this verse is not a promise or a guarantee, per se, that if you teach your kids X, Y, and Z, they will turn out however you define perfectly. Rather, this wise saying points out the importance of being faithful and intentional about teaching our children the ways of the Lord while they are young, influential, and especially moldable. So like strong and healthy trees, it will help them then grow strong roots that will anchor them in difficult, tempting, and turbulent times. Now what makes raising children and teaching our children and youth so difficult is that there is competition for the hearts and minds of our young people. There's this famous quote that goes like this. 
He alone who owns the youth gains the future. Does anyone know who said that? Are there any history buffs out there? He alone who owns the youth gains the future. That was spoken by Adolf Hitler in 1935 at a rally as part of Nazi efforts to indoctrinate youth. Now there was, there's nothing subtle about what he was trying to accomplish, but if you look at, what, look at the world today, at all of the, the social media influencers, at the, the messaging and the ideology being promoted in many of the recent movies and TV shows, mainstream media, you can see how the world, secular society, is attempting to lure our young people, and all of us, I should add, to embrace their ideology, their beliefs and their values, their version and definition of truth and justice. And so what is the world's definition of truth and justice? Well, it matches that of the evil one. It's this idea of, well, you do you, right? Whatever, whatever works for you. Love is love. Whatever makes you feel happy. Search within yourself to find your identity. And this is what it looks like when people reject God and turn to themselves. It's like Judges 21, verse 25. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And as we see in Judges, that is a recipe for disaster. And perhaps the area that we see this promoted most prominently is in regard to sexuality and sexual ethics. And what the world promotes is, the, is a very self-focused, anti-God message that promotes the individual wants and desires above everyone and everything else. So truth then becomes subjective. Because who are you to tell me what is right and wrong? And the greatest injustice is not affirming the individual's version of what they think or feel is true and right. So I remember a conversation I had with a young couple. They did not have children yet. And we were talking about the importance of how a husband and wife should have similar values and beliefs and how this was especially important when the couple raises children. And I remember one of them saying, well, we don't, we don't want to be forceful about pushing our beliefs on our kids. Right? We, want to, we want to give them space to help, like, help them find their own way. Hmm. I mean, now, to some, this might sound admirable, but it is, it is very naive. Because the world, I'll add Satan in that, is not sitting idly by, giving space for our young people to find their own way. The evil one is very aggressive, promoting and encouraging anything that feels good in the moment, be it pleasure or materialism or unhealthy lifestyles and habits. Satan's not so much picky. As long as you're focused on you and your immediate impulsive wants and desires. And so as followers of Jesus, we should not be surprised that the world is seeking to push its values and beliefs on, on everyone else especially the church. In fact, we see how this has been a challenge for God's people throughout all of Scripture. And God's people were persecuted for their faith and allegiance to the one true God, rather than joining everybody else and worshiping all kinds of gods. And so what Scripture invites us to do as we live in this world is to be discerning, to be wise, 
to be tuning our hearts and our minds toward the Lord and his ways rather than the ways of this world. And this is why it is so important to be intentionally teaching our our children, the next generation, and modeling life well for them. To be proactive and start our children off on the way they should go. Because if you leave it to them to find their own way, they will wander and get lost in the latest impulsive desire or fad. We know this because we're all prone to it. They will be like a tree being pushed around by the wind with no deep roots to anchor them. Now, Proverbs has much to say about raising children, about raising the next generation, about how to live wisely in this world. And it addresses all kinds of topics and offers wisdom in in, in what we should be teaching. For example, Proverbs teaches us the importance of disciplining our children. Proverbs 19, verse 18. Discipline your children while there is hope. Otherwise, you will ruin their lives. That's a pretty uh, blunt statement but the truth is we learn through discipline no one i don't think likes it in the moment but children will be thankful later now proverbs teaches the young to learn to appreciate guidance and correction so if you are in that younger category listen to this verse right my child don't reject the lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you for the lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Proverbs also addresses the importance of, of having friends who are, who are good influences and pursuing a spouse of godly character. For example, there's lots of verses like this, but here's one, Proverbs 21, verse 9. It's better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a lo- lovely home. Hmm. Parents, mentors, Those who have an opportunity to speak into the lives of the young people offer this kind of wisdom and and guidance to our next generation. And teach your children to seek a husband and wife of noble character, one who loves the Lord. Or help protect them from allowing their hormones to make one of the biggest decisions of their lives. We know this because we've all been there. Satan, the world, tells us just do it, right? Follow your, follow your impulses and just, you can deal with, with any potential consequences later. But Proverbs teaches us that we should learn and practice self-control. Now Proverbs teaches us also to show mercy to the poor, to have integrity, and to be mindful of the words that we say. For example, 29 verse 11, fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. And this is some of what we need to be teaching and modeling for the next generation. Now, Proverbs also offers us wisdom in in working hard and being generous. We live in a very materialistic culture, and we have so much, but never enough. So people in our culture, we, we live like we believe, we live like we believe more stuff will make us happy. But it just kind of drives us to want more. And we are, as a culture, we're impressed by those who have more money and stuff than they could ever use. This is the way of the world. This is a temptation of the evil one. But God is not so much impressed by worldly wealth. And what God calls us to do is to live counterculturally, to be generous, 
to practice self-control rather than buying all kinds of stuff that we don't need and can't afford. And by teaching and modeling generosity and self-control, we teach our children the importance of, of contentment. And we empower them that they don't have to give in to every empty temptation that this world has to offer. We can teach them that, that they don't need to say, ooh, I need this, I want this, right? I have to have this every time they see an item that looks fun. Proverbs offers us wisdom in forgiving those who have hurt us and confessing to those whom we have hurt. 28 verse 13. People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. So like I mentioned earlier, raising children is not easy, and none of us are perfect. And as much as we try to model life well for our children, we will make mistakes. What then? <laughs> and I can think of a number of times, thinking personally, I can think of a number of times when I have been a bad example in front of my kids, when I have lost my temper in front of them, or I've directed my anger toward them. And it grieves me that they have seen such an example in me. But my kids have also seen me apologize to them for the anger that I have expressed. And my hope and my prayer is that, that they will more vividly remember the apology than the anger I expressed. Confession and apologies are powerful ways that we can also model the Christian life to our children. God has called his people throughout the generations to be faithful and to be diligent in teaching and modeling for the next generation, the ways of the Lord. And perhaps the most vivid teaching that we find in Scripture is found in Deuteronomy 6. Moses, he spoke these words to the new generation of Israelites who were preparing to enter into the promised land. But before they would enter and begin their conquest of the land, Moses spent some very valuable time teaching and reminding the people. And he was very clear. If they wanted to survive and thrive, in this land, they were to follow the ways of the Lord. And, to, and the only way to accomplish this was by also preparing and guiding the next generation to do this as well. And so in Deuteronomy 5, Moses, he reminded the Israelite people, again, of the Ten Commandments. And then here in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9, we read this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Don't start worshiping and following all the other gods and nations, like the nations around you. Right? Don't give in to all kinds of, of sexual perversion or idolatry or violence or greed like the people around you are doing. The Lord is our God. Right? The Lord alone. Verse 5. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul and all your strength. In other words, they are to love the Lord from the inside out. With everything they have, it should touch and affect every area of their life. And they are to be faithful and diligent in teaching this and modeling this for their children as well. So verses 6 and 7. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about, what, talk about them when you are at home when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Habits, 
the stuff that sticks with us, it's born out of repetition, right? The good ones and also the bad. And the more we see certain practices and behaviors, the more we hear certain messages, the deeper it drives into our hearts and our minds. And what we, I've also learned is that uh, while the world, media, knows this as well. Right? How many times have you seen the same ad on TV? For example, I'm, I'm a big fan of, I like to watch live sports on TV, and I watch a lot of Jets games, Bombers games. Lately I've been watching some Blue Jay games. And so my kids will, will join me occasionally. And one of the things that has really annoyed me while watching live sports on TV are the non-stop gambling and betting ads. Have you seen those? All right. So every time these gambling ads come on, I share with my kids what I believe about gambling. And I tell them, gambling is a waste of money. That's a lot of times I tell them that in a game. Now, I tell them there's a reason why casinos are so fancy and why they can afford to show so many ads on TV. It's not because they're giving up big paydays. And while Proverbs does not speak specifically to gambling, it does offer us some wonderful wisdom when it comes to the general topic. Proverbs 13, verse 11. Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes and it quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. And so, knowing the power of repetition, Moses teaches the people, repeat them, referring to God's commands and laws. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. In other words, let this be a very intentional part of your day and your conversation. Seize the opportunities to teach them these valuable biblical truths as you go throughout your day. You know, we live in a very unique time in history. You know, with these cell phones in our pockets and, and screens, screens like everywhere we look, there is more messaging, advertising, and ideas being promoted than ever before. And as Deuteronomy reminds us, we need to counter those messages that will tempt us with the life-giving truth of God and His Word. Verse 8, referring to God's commands, he says, tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. I don't see anyone doing that, uh, except maybe cell phones in your pockets, no, in your hands. No, there, there, would have, there would have been some people out there who would have taken this verse quite literally, but it is intended to be taken metaphorically. To, the, to tie these commands to their hands meant to practice them, right? to live them out in day-to-day -day life. And to wear them on your forehead meant to embrace the ideology, to fully embrace and believe in your heart and your mind that these commands are true and that they lead to life and to hope. And in verse 9 it says, Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And in a sense you could say this was kind of like their flag, their declaration of allegiance. This was a way of saying, this was a visible reminder of who we are and what we are about. Why we are here. These commands, these truths are what we are about. This is our confession of what we believe and our commitment to how we are to live. This is a proclamation that we serve the Lord. So why? Why are we called to teach and model Christ-likeness 
and the ways of the Lord to our young people. And we don't do this in order to heap difficult burdens on them. Sometimes it may feel that way. That is not why. We do this, we teach and model the ways of the Lord because the ways of the Lord are the ways of life. And there is nothing that is more important and significant that we could ever pass on to them. No amount of money no, or physical inheritance compares with passing on a faithful life of following Jesus. Jesus is our life. And Jesus tells us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is our peace. What we crave for and desire. He is our strong foundation. He is the rock and the anchor in turbulent times. He is our creator and sustainer. He is our hope of eternal life. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And what is so mind-blowingly awesome is that this Jesus, he loves you. He loves our children, our young people. And he desires what is good for us. And he also knows the horrors of what sin does and our choosing to go our own way, what that does to us. He knows the destruction that it causes in people's lives. He knows the destruction it causes in families and communities in this world. And we see the love of God most profoundly at the cross, where Jesus took all that sin upon himself in order to make a way for us to be forgiven and be saved. Jesus has conquered sin and death. And he has shown us how to now live. Jesus has modeled life more perfectly than anyone else who's ever walked this earth. And Jesus has sent his Holy Spirit to equip us and to empower us to live faithfully. And to love our families. To model life well for our young people, for the people in our lives. And he's made sure that the scriptures have been kept and protected over the generations so that we would be able to hold true to the faith and teach the next generation. But I also want to recognize that there may be some of you here today who are thinking, well, that all sounds great and all for young kids. But mine are older now, and they have, you know, some of mine have maybe walked away from the faith, or they've made all kinds of bad decisions. And maybe you're thinking, maybe I, I haven't been the greatest example either. It is certainly easier to guide, mold, and shape the young. But we serve a God who does miracles. The miracle worker who transforms hearts and minds. And so to you, I would say this. Be faithful. We don't get people into the kingdom of God. That is God's work. And so pray for a miracle. And by the grace of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit, begin and do what you can to model life well. Live by wisdom. Live by the Spirit. Be present in their lives in such a way that they seek you for godly advice and wisdom. Take those opportunities. You know, a bunch of years ago, I had the opportunity to go visit uh, the Redwood National Forest in California. And it was a, a mind-blowing experience to see such massive trees. Now, redwoods, they are the tallest living things in the world. They can grow up to 350 feet tall, uh, 20 feet in diameter. And the average lifespan of a redwood is like 500 to 700 years old. 
Some can, can thrive well past a thousand years. And now you would think that trees that grow so massive would have really deep roots in order to help them withstand the, the droughts and the storms. But that is not actually the case with the redwoods. Their roots actually only grow 6 to 12 feet deep. Now the obvious question you might ask then is how can a tree that can grow so massive stay up with such shallow roots? And the reason is because they never grow alone. Their roots, they grow long and they spread out and they intertwine with the root systems of all the redwoods beside them. And in so doing, these trees, they literally anchor one another and hold each other steady and secure. And so parents, children's ministry workers, youth workers, caregivers, grandparents, all of us, God calls us to be faithful and diligent in teaching and modeling the ways of the Lord to the next generation. And our mission is to point them to Jesus, to love, to teach, to guide, to model life well for them, to create an environment and opportunity for their roots to grow deep. And like the Redwoods, as we do this together in community, we give support to one another. And ultimately, like I said, our mission is to help anchor them, to intertwine their roots to Jesus, who is our life and our hope. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that you came into this world, that you gave your life for us, that you saved us from our sin and all the brokenness that we found ourselves in. And we thank you, Lord, that you are our life, that you are our hope. And Lord, I ask that you would give us strength, Lord, to follow you faithfully, to model life well for the next generation. And Lord, I pray for our kids, for our youth, for our babies. And Lord, I pray that they would grow up to love you and to follow you all the days of their life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.